It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Dan Hanner, one of the pastors here at, at FCC, and it's great to see those gathered here, and of course, welcome those joining us online. It's good to be gathered this morning to worship. Well, this morning, I want you to introduce you to my mom. This is a picture of my mom, Marianne, Marianne Hainer, and uh, this picture was taken at her 70th birthday just a little while back. So as you can see, she's got her, her 70th birthday sash going on and her feathery scarf, and she's, she's a fun person. She's, she's a great lady. She likes to create space for other people to have fun, too, and in her home, and uh, she also has a big heart. She's got a great heart for people and a heart for God, and she's, she's, a, she's a great lady, and I've been really blessed to have her in my life. But my mom has one consistent struggle, and her consistent struggle is worrying about having enough food for her guests when they come over. So this, this comes up all the time as we're, as we're there visiting, whether it's a holiday meal with family or just when other family or guests are, are gathered in town for them. She has a lot of worry about having enough, having enough for her guests. Some of this, I suspect, may kind of stem from her, her upbringing. You know, she was raised in a family that wasn't, wasn't destitute by any means, but there wasn't an abundance of food normally. She'll, she'll tell me stories sometimes, and she gets emotional as she does this, but she'll tell me stories about her, how her aunt and uncle, would, who were a bit better off financially, would sometimes bring food and, and groceries and treats for her and her siblings and her parents and, and kind of leave them for them. And how her mom would have to kind of quickly, you know, kind of get them out of view and, and, and hide it all from my mom's father, because if he discovered it, it'd be a real knock to his pride. And so these are the, these are, that's the situation that she grew up with, and maybe that has something to do with how she worries about having enough these days. And so when we're there visiting, I, she often brings me into this conversation, probably because I do a fair amount of cooking, and I've worked in restaurants and kitchens, and so I've got a, a good sense of kind of portions and how many servings you can get out of something. So she'll often bring me into this. And so I often find myself, you know, saying, Mom, that, you're fine. That'll be plenty. That'll be plenty. Or sometimes, hey, you know, let's better safe than sorry. Let's take that other package out of the freezer. And so when you're worried about not having enough, it brings some anxiety. It brings some fear. It brings some uncertainty. And for like my mom, for example, she'll be unsettled until the meal is over and until you know that the guests were, were filled and were satisfied. And so something as simple as preparing a meal for my guests is one way that we experience that sense of, is it, is it going to be enough? Is it going to be enough? And as we go there for the holidays soon, for Thanksgiving, I'm sure I'll hear that same question from my mom. Is it enough? Well, our text in Hebrews chapter 10 for this morning, I think, addresses this same question, but for a much more profound issue, a much more profound problem, and that's the issue of being forgiven and free. How can we be forgiven and free? What is enough to forgive us and free us? And I think as we'll see in this text this morning, we're going to get a reminder that Jesus' sacrifice, that the work of God on our behalf in Christ through the sacrifice of Jesus, is enough. It was sufficient. 
It took care of our greatest need. We've been in this text in Hebrews, and as we've seen repeatedly throughout this, this whole campaign, the writer of Hebrews argues again and again that the Old Testament system, the old covenant, the old deal that the people had with God, and the system of sacrifices and offerings, and even the Old Testament priesthood, which you see extensively as you look through the Old Testament, it ultimately wasn't enough. It ultimately wasn't sufficient to take care of sin and to cleanse the conscience of God's people and of worshipers. Rather, this whole system, the, the sacrifices, the offerings, all of the things related to the temple and the tabernacle, all of that just served as a reminder of sin. And a reminder that, that sin matters. Again, when we talk about sin, maybe a way we can think about that is the things in our lives that we've done or that we've left undone that dishonor God and dishonor others. This whole system is just a reminder that, that, that those things matter. And that somehow they create a barrier and a distance between us and God. And that's what you see in the temple system and the sacrifices and offerings. So we read in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 10. It says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeatedly, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But again, those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins, and it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so verse 1, the, the old covenant, the law, the system, it's but a shadow we're told. And what's a shadow? Think of a shadow, right? It's kind of a darkened, obscure kind of picture cast on the ground. It's a, refra it's a refraction of the light around an actual reality, an actual material object. And so we, it's, a, it's just a hint that the real thing is close by, casting that shadow as the light hits it. So if you're out sightseeing and, and you're, you know, maybe you're in Washington, D.C. or something looking at monuments, you're not just going to go look at the shadows cast by, on the ground, even if they're neat shadows, neat kind of refractions of light. You want to see the real thing. You want to see the monument. You want to take pictures of the monument. You wouldn't see the shadow and say that you've seen the monument. But the, the true form, verse 1, the true form as Another translation puts it, or as we see in the NIV, the realities themselves, the true reality of God's redemptive plan is that there would be full and total and complete provision for forgiveness of sin and cleansing for us. We see there in verse 4, it talks about the, the blood of bulls and goats. and This is probably a reference to the, to the Day of Atonement, to to Yom Kippur, as you may know it, this most holy day of the year for Israel and for, for Jews and for, um, and for the people of God in the Bible. And it's saying that even those sacrifices offered once a year by the, the high priest, where the blood of animals was offered in the most holy place of the temple, even those sacrifices were not sufficient to fully deal with sin and to remove our guilt. 
even that holy day was but a shadow. We skipped over verses 5 through 10 in the reading of the passage, but the writer of Hebrews there references Psalm 40. As you may know, as we've gone throughout Hebrews, the writer continually weaves an Old Testament text and points to Christ as the fulfillment of them. And so in that, in that passage, verses 5 through 10, he says of Christ, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, and the writer is applying this to Jesus Christ, here I am, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. What's the point here? What's the point in referencing this psalm and applying it to Christ? Well, the point is that even in the Old Testament, even even in the midst of that same system of the law and the old covenant, and even in this psalm, we see a hint that God ultimately didn't even want these sacrifices and offerings. What he ultimately wanted was heart obedience, was heart devotion from his people. He wanted an obedience that's not compelled just by rules, Because as we've heard, rules can't change the heart. Not just compelled by rules, but compelled within us, within the worshiper himself. That's what God desired. The writer continues his argument about the inadequacy of this Old Testament system, this Old Covenant, this Old Deal in verses 11 through 13, where he says, describing the priesthood, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But verse 12, but when this priest, Jesus Christ, the great high priest, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. So we see here the necessary repetition of all the sacrifices, offerings, and we see how the priests, those guys never caught a break. There was no end to the, the religious duties around the temple and the offerings and sacrifices that were prescribed by the law. And so they're, they're pictured standing, performing their duties. But as the writer here makes clear, these sacrifices never fully dealt with sin because if they had, why would they have to continue to be repeated. But look at verse 12 there, and I emphasize it as I read, this priest, Jesus, the great high priest, he was different. He was different. See, Jesus offered one sacrifice, the sacrifice of his own life. As high priest, he offered this up to God once for all time, not to have to be repeated ever again. And then he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus' sacrifice was enough. It was sufficient. It satisfied our need. It was once for all time to deal with my sin, to deal with your sin, and the sins of all those who would trust in him, past, present, and future. As we think about our own lives, some of us may say, you know, we may look at that and think, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I believe... 
I believe this, the sacrifice of Jesus was enough, that the, you know, the cross was enough. But, but sometimes, I think practically, we kind of operate as though favor with God or God's forgiveness somehow depends on us. Some of us think, I just, you know, I just have to do some more religious activities, you know. I have, to, I, have to, I have to be a better person. I have to work harder. So we get stuck thinking that it kind of depends on us. Well, those things, of course, they're, they're, they're not bad, but like the Old Testament sacrifices, they don't cut it. They, they can't cleanse us. They can't make us more favorable with God. And when we operate that way, when we think it depends on us, we may be in danger of taking away from what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us, and we may be trying to live under a different deal than what God has offered us. I came upon a story a little while back of this Major League Baseball player named Carlos Martinez. Carlos Martinez was a pitcher for the, is I still believe, a pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, and Carlos grew up in the Dominican Republic, and he grew up in one of the poorest sections and areas within the Dominican Republic, and Carlos's mom died when he was just eight months old, and he never knew his dad, and so he was raised by his grandmother, and Carlos and his grandmother and several other family members lived in this tiny two-room house at the end of this this alley at the bottom of a hill. What happened was that when, it, when heavy rains came and trash clogged up the sewer drains, the floodwaters would just sweep down the hill and just flood into their tiny, tiny two-room house. So the story that Carlos writes is that he describes that anytime it was the least bit cloudy or even when there was just a hint that it might rain, his grandmother would kind of rush around the house and move furniture around and get things up off the floor and get them on higher ground so that they wouldn't be damaged and destroyed by rains that would come into their house. Naturally, Carlos wanted to help his grandmother, wanted to help his family, wanted to improve their lives somehow. And so Carlos played a couple of seasons in the major leagues, pitching for the Cardinals, And then he returned to the Dominican Republic, and he wanted to buy his grandma a new house. And so they they shopped around. They found one that it was in a a different community, and and she moved in and had a much better quality of life. Carlos was there visiting one time, as the story goes, and he, he all of a sudden saw his grandmother just rearranging furniture and putting things on higher ground and moving things around. And he was confused as to why this was happening. She's in this new place. But then he remembered the tiny two-room house that they grew up in, where the rains would flood in. And so she's doing this. And, and so Carlos gently, gently went to his grandmother and said, Grandma, it's okay. The rainwater is not going to come in here. You're safe now. You're not gonna, our things aren't going to get damaged. The water's not going to get in here. And so the grandmother eventually, you know, smiled and kind of came to and remembered and then sat down to relax. Sometimes I think some of us who, maybe those of us who particularly deal with 
shame and guilt, we're a bit, bit like the grandmother. We're a bit like the grandmother. We, we, we may find ourselves kind of rushing around, re- rearranging things, trying to stay busy for God, trying to keep our nose clean so that we'll stay on God's good side. But just like grandma there was in a new home, Hebrews reminds us that we're now in a new reality. We're now in a new reality. The work of God on our behalf in Christ was enough to forgive us, was enough to cleanse us. And there's nothing we can do to earn that forgiveness. Just like grandma there was covered by a new roof and protected by this new, nicer, updated structure that the floodwaters wouldn't get into, we too are covered in the perfection of Jesus Christ and in his sacrifice for us. And we're protected by his righteousness and his perfection. But sometimes we lose sight of that. But again, the opportunity to be forgiven and to be free doesn't depend on us. It's the free gift of God. It doesn't depend on us. So we have this amazing reminder here in our text that we keep coming back to is that the work of God and Jesus Christ for us was enough. It was sufficient. It was once for all time. And now Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And he doesn't have to die for sins again. In his death, we're offered total forgiveness and freedom from our guilt and our shame. But as I think the rest of this passage is going to illustrate for us, it was not only enough, it was more than enough. It was more than enough. Because the work of God just doesn't stop at our forgiveness. It continues in our, in our cleansing, in our being made holy, in our sanctification. And so it's more than enough. And so we're going to turn to verses 14 through 18. And the, the writer is going to remind us here again, as we saw last week from chapter 8, we're going to see here again the promise of the new covenant from Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, this passage out of the Old Testament, centuries before the arrival of Christ, where God, where the, the, the prophet Jeremiah sees a new covenant. God gives him a picture of a new covenant, a new deal that's to come. And so verses 14 through 18 say, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So we see here in verse 14 that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ makes us perfect. Makes us perfect. How is that possible? What happens as we put our faith in Christ, the only one who could truly save us, the only one who could truly offer a sufficient sacrifice for sin because of his perfect life? We see that God applies that to us. When we put our trust in Jesus, God, that's how God sees us. He sees the perfection and the righteousness and the obedience and the goodness of Jesus, and we're covered in that. 
But it doesn't just stop there. As we progress in faith, as we grow in faith, God begins a process in us of making us holy, making us sanctified. What does it mean to be made sanctified? What does it mean to be made holy? Well, to be sanctified is to be set apart for God, to be set apart for some special use and special purpose in God. It means to grow to become more like Christ. That's the goal of God's work in our lives, is that we would reflect Him more. It means to be purged of those things in our hearts and in our lives that don't reflect God. Our, our anger, our pride, our jealousy, our envy, our impure thoughts and motives, our self-hatred even. To be purged of all those things. And then rather in their place to take on more of the character of Jesus so that we can reflect him to the world. So that's what it means to be sanctified. This is what God is doing in our lives, in my life, and in your life. But the important thing to remember about this is that it doesn't just happen through external rules and laws outside of us. That's not God's process. God's not like wielding a hammer and pounding us with rules and laws. He's rather like a potter, shaping, gently shaping and gently forming us. That's how God works. In this process, it's fueled by the promise that we see here, quoted from Jeremiah 31, of the Holy Spirit in us and the truth of God being written on our hearts and on our minds. So verses 16 and 17 there from Jeremiah 31 Look familiar, this this, this promised new covenant, this new deal. And this new deal was initiated and offered to to us through the cross of of Jesus Christ. So the promise, the promise, the new reality is that the truth of God would be in us, internalized in us, and we would no longer just be motivated by external rules Because as we know, law and rules cannot change our heart. But God has written on our our lives, in our hearts, and on our minds that we might live a life more and more pleasing to him and honoring to him. Because the promise here is for a new heart, for the truth of God to be in us. Speaking of the Old Testament, there's another text in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8. And the people are told this about the law of God. It says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. So there, so there Moses has just reminded them of, of the law and reiterated that you know, this, this matters. Don't, don't deviate from this. Don't depart from this. Rather, write it, uh, rather, tie it as symbols on your hands and bind it on your foreheads. And many observant Jews even today and at, at that point, took this very seriously. We have an image here of a, of a, a male Jewish worshiper at, at prayer, and you, and you see him wearing a, a box here on his forehead and, and having um, a, another compartment kind of strapped to his, to his arm. And in these things would be little scrolls of the law, little, little parchments of Scripture, of the law. So as they're en- engaged in prayer, the... This, this spirit here is that, 
this is a symbolic means that they've, they've, they've kept the law close to them. They've remembered the law, and it's as close as possible to their mind and their heart and their hands. I remember in about eighth grade, I think it was, I had a Sunday school teacher in church who was kind of inspired by this idea as we studied Deuteronomy. And so he got all passionate and conjured up these plans that we as the eighth grade Sunday school class would create these little bracelets and necklaces and things that could be worn and that they would have scripture, Bible passages on them and that we would give these to our peers so he got all into this idea and started making plans and ultimately it never kind of got off the ground. But the point was, the vision was that this scripture would be a reminder to us throughout the day, that it would be close to us. You know, and these kinds of reminders can be helpful. I mean, probably plenty of us have uh, pieces of art around our homes or, 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 or material things that may have scriptures on them. Or remind us of those things. Or uh, one of JP's favorites, apparently, is refrigerator magnets with scriptures on them. You may have heard him talk about that before. He, you should buy him a lot of those. <laughs> but just little reminders, little mementos around the house, right? And so that's not bad. But what is the real promise here? What, 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 what is the, the promise? It's that as we believe in Jesus... As we receive forgiveness, as we're filled with the Spirit, God inscribes His Word, His law, on our hearts and on our minds. It's inside of who we are. And it doesn't get any closer than that. So as we grow in understanding of the, of the truth of God, and as we apply what's already within us by the Holy Spirit, we grow more like Christ, and we become sanctified. When the Spirit of God and the law of God is in you, we can choose godliness and holiness freely. With the law of God inside of us, we can can love and serve our neighbor, even if they have political signs put up in their yard that we may disagree with, or they endorse candidates that we may disagree with. We can still love and serve them because they're not just a political voter with opinions. They're a person loved by God. With the truth of God written on our hearts, we can make pure choices regarding our sexuality with the help of the Holy Spirit and with the help of the community of faith. Because the truth of God is written on our minds and our hearts, we are empowered to treat our family with love and respect. And with the truth of God on our hearts, written on our minds and written on our hearts, We can be empowered to tell the truth no matter the consequences. We can choose love. We can choose service. We can choose forgiveness and holiness because the truth of God is inscribed on our hearts and God will grow us, promises to grow us in these things. So the reminder of our our, our text this morning, Hebrews 10 is that because of Christ, we're not only forgiven, we're also made free. We're given a new heart, one that's fit to obey God and one that is made holy. 
And so the work of God in Christ for you is enough. But it's more than enough. Maybe some of us here this morning, we, we, really, we really need to cling to that it's enough. Maybe we have some, some guilt and shame. But when we put our faith in the sacrifice of Jesus, the text says that God remembers our sins no more. He remembers our sins no more. And so we can let go of our guilt and our shame for those things done or left undone because God's forgiveness is not up to us. It doesn't depend on us. There's nothing we could ever do to earn it. It's a free gift of God. Others of us in the room, we need to cling to the fact that it's more than enough. It's more than enough. God doesn't just offer us forgiveness and then kind of just leave us as we are. He wants to continue his work in us all of our days, and we partner with him in that. The work of God on our behalf continues as he sanctifies us, as he leads us in his truth, and as he gives us his truth right on our heart and on our mind. And maybe, like me, maybe your prayer in this season could be, God, help me to live into the truth and the goodness that you have downloaded into my very being so that I can be more like Christ. Well, wherever you find yourself today, take heart that the work of God on your behalf is more than enough. You've not just received forgiveness. You've not just received freedom. You have received the ability to grow in holiness. And God has called you and set you apart to be sanctified. And so take hold of this amazing promise that God remembers your sins no more. And then he's put his law of love inside of you. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for what you've done for us. We're so grateful for the cross that you've dealt with our sin once and for all, that you don't need to offer your life again, that you are the once and for all time sacrifice for sin. But Lord, we, we know that it doesn't stop there. So we receive your forgiveness, but God, we say yes to whatever, whatever more and better things you have for us. And we pray that you would help us to grow in holiness, to grow as sanctified people, set apart for you, forgiven and free, to live a life honoring to you. So God, we remember this morning that your work on our behalf was not only enough, but that it was more than enough. And so we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.